Hello and welcome to Behind the Buyouts, the deals podcast where we speak to private equity and venture capital practitioners and advisors about their deals and deal making. I'm your host, Nikita Satiraju, senior reporter with The Deal. We have with us today, Kathy Lenhart, co-head of consumer and retail investment banking at Solomon Partners. Kathy has advised prominent companies in the sector, such as Caring, Athleta, Tommy Hilfiger, PVH, and Walmart over the years. She's here to talk to us about the state of consumer and retail M&A in 2023. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us. Nikitha, thank you for having me. So I wanted to start with talking about your career and how you found your way to consumer and retail. Tell us a little bit about that. After business school, I joined Morgan Stanley in the M&A group, and it was a generalist program, and we worked on transactions across the spectrum, paper and forest products, energy, pharmaceuticals, technology, and of course, consumer retail. And I, I really developed a passion for consumer brands and the retail sector during that time. And fast forward, I was working on a transaction on the buy side of Morgan Stanley, and I met Solomon Partners, and they were selling Land's End, and they offered me a job, and I've been at the firm for 18 years. That's great. And your team here is expanding. You just added a new managing director. Talk to us a little bit about the work that you all have been doing here at the firm. I think as consumer and retailing continues to evolve, we're growing the consumer part of our franchise. And we just hired a prominent managing director who covers some very interesting sectors in better for you food, beverage, and pet, which remain very active segments in M&A. Now, consumer and retail M&A has been slow this year. What has the deal-making been like in the first half? What interesting trends have you noticed? Consumer M&A and activity in the first half has been at its lowest level since the start of COVID. Obviously, 2021 was a record year. 2022 was probably half of that. But it's not all bad. You know, 2022 sort of looks like 2019 in terms of, of dollar volume of deals. But you're absolutely right. First half of 2023 has gotten off to a slow start. We're seeing the impact of rising interest rates as the Fed tries to combat inflation and just a general concern about the health of the consumer and spending patterns. It's really slowed consumer discretionary transactions. And what are your expectations for the second half of the year, just in terms of what you're seeing in terms of processes being prepped and launched? What can we expect there? We expect a pickup in the second half, and we're, we're pretty optimistic about that. We do see as the economic outlook stabilizes and the Fed moderates some of its activity that it will drive more transaction activity. If you step back, the markets are focused on the Fed and the Fed's focused on inflation. You're going to see probably another easing, another 25 basis point increase by the Fed. But then there's a fair amount of speculation that thereafter in the coming years, we'll see rate decreases. And I think this stability and market pricing in activity is going to lead to more deal activity because there's optimism. If there's stability, we tend to see more transaction activity. And you ask a good question, which is on the back half, is it new deals? Is it restarted deals? And we do think some of the transactions that may have launched in 2022 will start to get done on the back half of 2023. And we see a lot of folks, a lot of sponsors 
a lot of corporates prepping for deal activity in the back half. And DTC now has been, it kind of is no longer as strong as it was in 2021 when valuations were through the roof and it was having a great year. That said, I would love to know what's happening in that particular category and what we can expect in terms of dealmaking and buyer interest. After the lofty tech-like valuations we saw during 2021, the air has significantly come out of the tires in terms of valuations. But what we're seeing left behind is some interesting brands and business models that have value. So the valuations are certainly in a different place. I think when we looked at it through 2022, we saw that profitable DTC brands declined 62% in 2022, and the unprofitable brands declined 84%. I don't have the trued up numbers through 2023, but it's not gotten any better. There's just a lot of pressure in DTC brands. But you know what we see is valuation expectations in the private markets have followed the trends in the public market. So I do think we're going to see some continued activity at more reasonable valuations. So Kathy, there are certain categories within consumer that have fared better than others, beauty being one. Could you walk us through some of those subsectors that have performed well and perhaps what's driving the interest among buyers for those products? Thematically, what we've seen on the heels of a weakened economy, higher interest rates, and the general macroeconomic conditions that we've already discussed. And let's take it from a financial sponsor perspective. They took the tactic of going risk off. What does that mean? They're worried about the consumer. They're worried about the consumer spending, the economy, and they've shifted the deal activity to reflect that. Personal consumption is such an important part of the economy, over two-thirds of GDP. It's also an important part of their deal making. What we've seen is a shift to categories that are less discretionary versus more discretionary. What does that mean? Less discretionary categories are like business services, residential services, consumer services. And that's where the deal activity hasn't slowed as much. And I'll give you an example in consumer services, Medispas, Botox services. It also does include services for the home. But the thesis is, if you're going to buy new shoes or a bag, or you're going to do that self-maintenance, the self-maintenance type activities or the home maintenance have more of a recurring nature and is viewed as less risky. Residential services, that's a perfect example. You're going to continue to mow your lawn. You're going to get your air conditioning fixed. So that is driving some interesting investment themes along these consumer priorities in a tightened economy. And again, back to the recurring revenues. So anything you spend on monthly, quarterly, or otherwise periodically. You mentioned other categories that have held up relatively well in the deal market. Beauty's been an excellent category from a consumer spending perspective. While it's discretionary, and I don't know how much you spend on your beauty, I spend a lot on it, but the consumer is not letting it go. We're seeing continued spend on beauty, personal care, fragrance. That's been a hot category. Along with beauty and health and wellness, better for you foods, they're all categories of consumer M&A investment that have held up very well. I do spend a lot on beauty. You will not believe it. <laughs> and you mentioned you know, private equity and financial sponsors that they're so active in this sector. But the last time we spoke, there was also this bit about a focus on roll-up strategies. Could you talk a little bit about that as well? 
Yeah, we've seen significant year-over-year declines in private equity deal and exit activity. So I think the number is PE deal activity dollar volume is down 50% for the first half of 2023 versus last year. But again, that's dollar volumes. In contrast, the number of transactions are only down mid-single digits. So that points to the trends that you mentioned, which is that we're seeing sponsor activity that's really closely related to add-on or roll-up activity. And that's just, they can go through and and do a series of smaller transactions to add to a platform investment, typically at a lower price, but its activity is just lower dollar volume. When we talk about synergistic bolt-on acquisitions, that also coincides with the theme of investing in less discretionary consumer and residential services. Because typically multi-unit operators of these services are very, very fragmented, whether it's auto services, whether it's home services, whether it's personal care services. So that also translates into significant roll-up opportunities. I also want to talk about IPOs and take private activity. Things have obviously been quiet on that front. But we did see Kava go public recently. What can we expect there? Will we see more companies going public or is it mainly going to be companies going private? Well, there have been signs of life in the IPO market, which we welcome. We think activity begets activity. You know, it really does provide an opportunity for sponsors to free up capital and that creates more activity. As we say, equity markets are strong. NASDAQ is up. You've seen this week, the Dow's up, the S&P's up. While we see a lot of the gains coming from the big tech stocks, you know, there's real momentum in the equity markets. And you talked about Kava. Yes, that was a bright spot in the equity markets. It's traded up and we like to see that. And we see a lot of other rumored high profile IPOs, Birkenstock, Skims, Reformation, And we like seeing that because it signifies strengths in consumer retail. So while we are excited at the prospect of the IPO market reopening, your point is well taken. There have been more companies taken private than have gone public in the first half of the year. And can we expect that to sort of continue over the next few months, maybe, or even the next year? I think what we're seeing right now will continue through the rest of the year. I think the IPO market's going to be spotty, and I think there'll be more take privates than IPOs. And now you've advised consumer and retail companies through different economic cycles. What stood out to you this time around as being unique about the current environment we're in? One major theme we're seeing that's driving deal activity, particularly middle market deal activity, is that CEOs and boards of directors are conducting strategic reviews and they're trying to find ways to unlock shareholder value in a slower growth environment where the consumer is stretched. So whether it's an opportunity to divest a lower margin business or spin off an undervalued asset, what we're seeing is portfolio pruning. It's really across the sectors carve out activity by large retailers exiting smaller or non-strategic brands. And some examples are Walmart, VF, Wolverine, all well-known brands. We're also seeing it in large CPG where they're exiting non-core or commodity business, but at the same time, 
they're modernizing their portfolios. So you see that in categories like better for you foods versus a commodity product that's not quite good for you. You're seeing it in beverage. And it's a very interesting driver of deal activity because you see just a whole host of buying and selling of assets as they reposition their portfolios. And it's the large cap, it's the mid cap, it's the Unilevers, it's the General Mills, it's the Nestle's. And that is going to continue to be an interesting component of the M&A market. And for the buyers of these products, these carve-outs, is it usually financial sponsors on the other side or is it other kind of smaller strategics? It's strategic and financial sponsors. You saw CVC buy the Lipton Tea business out of Unilever. I think what's interesting when you divest a non-core asset that has a reason for being, that has a brand equity, that has a consumer following, but perhaps has not had the strategic focus and attention of its corporate parent, the next buyer tends to do much better with it. It's focus, it's investment, it's prioritization. So that drives a lot of this deal making. Absolutely. Uh, I also wanted to touch upon the regulatory landscape and, and how that might be affecting deal making. You mentioned certain really interesting points the last time we spoke. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Well, the FTC has been quite active challenging some of these big mergers, which it views to be anti-competitive. Obviously, the biggest one more recently was Microsoft activism, but they're not winning. But they are drilling down on anti-competition. I think the most recent thing we saw was at the end of June, uh, you know, they proposed a whole series of changes to the HSR merger rules And what it does is it just calls for a significant amount of incremental upfront information to allow them to truly assess the transaction. What does that mean? It means the amount of information gathering and the time to file is going to be significantly prolonged and it's going to be more expensive. So at the end of the day, will that hinder deal-making? Yes, it will be interesting to see this play out. So your job's about to get a little bit harder. I think deal-making seems to be harder now than ever before. Every type of deal takes longer. What have I not asked you that you think would be interesting to note about the M&A market in general? I think we're at a unique point in history, gone through Fed stimulus for many, many years post the Great Recession. Now the Fed's activities are being reversed to pool inflation. So this Historic aggressive tightening of monetary policy has had a major impact on the consumer retail sector. As that stabilizes, we do expect more deal activity because both buyers and sellers now know what to expect. In periods of uncertainty, that's when it's really hard to get deals done. When you have more certainty, more optimism about the future, that's what drives deal activity in our market. We know that consumer and retail have been very hard hit from a valuation perspective, but that creates opportunities. It creates opportunities for buyers and sellers to come together. So while we've lamented the deal activity in the past 18 months, we are optimistic about the future. That's great. I do want to ask you about one of the bits that you mentioned earlier about how, you know, is it going to be new deals or processes that were kept on hold last year that are going to come back in the second half? Last time when we spoke, you had an interesting thought about how 
it's going to get pushed into 2024, like deals from 2023 get pushed into first half and deals from last year. Could you talk about that? You make it sound like a roller coaster, (laughs) (laughs) which I think it is. I think it is. I think the back half of this year is interesting because what we're going to see is a pickup from deals that may have wanted to launch or did a soft launch in 2022, but market conditions deteriorated very rapidly. We're going to see some of those deals come to market in the back half of 2023. We are also seeing a number of uh, sponsors prep and position for deals to launch in 2023. The interesting thing is they probably won't get done in 2023. They'll get done in 2024. So that's going to be tracking our deal volumes for 2024. When you talk to sponsors and you talk to folks who make all these deals happen, talked about signs of life in the IPO market, certainly a lot of activity teeing up uh, because sponsors have to exit. And if the IPO market's going to be slow and they've held off exiting for a while, it's just going to propel activity going forward. It, It has to go somewhere ultimately. They're also sitting on so much dry powder on the buy side too. They have to kind of put it to work at some point, right? Well, you know, you talked about dry powder. I think we calculate there's a trillion and a half of dry powder within private equity. And, you know, the the small add-ons and the tuck-ins that we discussed previously don't really move the needle enough. So to your point, they have to return to larger scale deal activity. So tell me about the state of credit and private debt. What has lender interest been like in the consumer and retail market? Well, we've had a massive growth in the direct lending or the private debt markets, which really supports a lot of this middle market M&A activity. They are selective, however. They're being cautious. They're looking at the same trends and macroeconomic challenges that the sponsors are looking at. They're cautious. They have big checkbooks, but they are cautious and they are selective. You know, the broadly syndicated market, the large bank market is open for business and funding not only refinancings, buyouts. And so that's good news. You know, what's been hurt more with the onset of the Silicon Valley Bank, the First Republic Bank crisis, where I think a weaker spot in the market is the regional banks and their deal-making activity and ability because they're concerned about their own financial health. So that's been a soft spot in the market. But generally, the markets are strong from a debt financing to finance deals. They're just cautious. Great. Well, thank you so much for a great conversation, Kathy. Thank you for having me. This is Megita Satiraju, senior reporter for The Deal. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Buyouts. 